Doesn't it end fast? Just, that's the end of it right there. Um, last weekend, we were talking about doing something in Jesus' name, and a few moments ago, you were singing songs about Jesus' name, and there was a song that said there's power in Jesus' name. Now, here's the deal. Is there power in his name like when you say it, there's some sort of magical aspect to it? No, that's not what it means. And the reason why I ask that question is when I was a kid, I was taught when you pray, you add these three words to the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name. And what we saw last week is that's not just an incantation. It isn't just something to repeat. In fact, this is the most important thought I'm going to give you today to understanding what it means to do something in Jesus' name. Think about this word, intentionality, intentionality. And think about this word, understanding. When you do something in Jesus' name, you do it intentionally and you do it with understanding. That is where the power comes from. For instance, many of you know what it's like when someone has died to do something, to give something in that person's name. Haven't you done that? And some friend of yours has passed away and a memorial had been set up with something that was important to that person. And you gave a gift in that person's name. What you're saying is if that person was still living, this, this would be important to this person. This person would want to give to this. And so in honor of this person, I am doing something in his or her name. So when we do something in the name of Jesus, we need to think about that intentionality. In other words, we're saying this is something very important to Jesus. This is something Jesus would do. And beyond that, there's a certain outcome that would normally be associated with what Jesus would do. And let me go straight to that outcome. Think about what Jesus did when he was on the earth. Everything Christ did was accompanied by two results. One was effectiveness and the other was blessing. Anything Jesus did was effective. In other words, it worked. And then beyond that, God blessed whatever he did. For instance, if you look at the feeding of the 5,000, he took a sack lunch and fed 20,000 people. Was he effective? Yeah, those people went away full. Was he blessed? Yes, God provided supernaturally from heaven. Now, here's the point I'm making today. You and I want both things. I'm convinced. At least I do. I want to be effective when I, live, when I, when I leave this life and go into eternity I don't want to leave this life being ineffective. I don't want to leave effectiveness on the table. I don't like leaving money on the table. I don't like leaving time on the table. And I don't like leaving effectiveness on the table. So here's the thing. I understand if I want to be greatly effective in this world, I need to be intentional about doing things in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something else I'd like to have. I'd like to have blessing. You know, I'm not a rich guy today, but I have so many things that money cannot buy. You know? Many people, when they think about being blessed by God, they think about financial blessings. And I'm going to talk about that. And yes, God does that. But I am blessed with so many things that money cannot buy because God has richly blessed me. And I am convinced because it's the few things in my life that I've done intentionally and in Jesus' name. Now, I'd like to give you a lot more verses, but I want to cherry pick one verse out of the Bible that gives you an understanding of what it means to live in Jesus' name. Because last week we talked about praying in Jesus' name. Well, for a lot of us, that's all we've ever thought about because that's what we were taught in church. And we learned last week that, you know, I told you about being invited to play golf by a general at Andrews Air Force Base Golf Course and all the perks that I enjoyed and all the privileges I enjoyed, none of which I deserve because I've never been in the military. But I wasn't playing in my name. I was playing in his name. And so we learned last week that in prayer, even though we might have an inner voice that tells us we have no right to pray, we say, well, I'm not praying in my name. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Now, that's where we left it last week. But we're going to talk about doing so much more than praying in Jesus' name. Actually, we're going to be talking about living our lives in Jesus' name because this is what the Bible teaches us. Paul gives us a paradigm for it that will help us. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul has ratcheted these terms up higher than most of us have ever imagined. What Paul is saying is, look, the old me, before I accepted Christ, the old me is no longer around. It is now Christ living in me. When Paul got up in the morning, he said, these are Christ's hands. When he got up in the morning, he said, these feet belong to Jesus. In Paul's case, this magnificent machine that was creative, that, and Paul said, this brain belongs to Jesus. Whatever I've got belongs to Jesus today. And so he saw life in terms of everything he was doing in Jesus' name. I am convinced. And I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual with you because you guys know I struggle with faith. I am convinced this is the missing element in American Christianity. Because so many of us have yet to understand what it really means to live our lives in Jesus' name. See, you can do so many good things and not do them in Jesus' name. I want to talk to you first about gathering in Jesus' name. Let me give you this verse. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, in effect, two or three simply means two or more. Jesus knew before he left the earth that there would be churches of all sizes. And you guys, many of you belong to churches of different sizes, and many of you are new springers. Jesus knew there would be mega churches like the church in Jerusalem, church at Antioch. He also knew there would be handfuls of people. When Paul would go into a new city to start a church, he would instantly go to the synagogue because he had a, he had a connection with Jewish believers and they had the Jewish scriptures. But if in a city there was no, it wasn't large enough to have a synagogue, or at least there wasn't a large enough Jewish contingent to have a synagogue, the Jewish people would gather by the riverside. So when you read about Paul going into Thyatira and meeting Lydia there, the woman who was an effective merchant, and they met by the riverside. That's just what people did. Now, Jesus was saying this. Whether it's two or more, whatever size your church is, when you're gathered together, there am I. I almost hesitate to ask this question. I don't even want to ask it of myself. But when you were getting ready for church today, what were you thinking about? Why did you come? You know, there are a grab bag of good reasons that still don't rise to gathering in Jesus' name. Sometimes people gather in a church because it's a habit. It's a lifelong habit. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But it's not gathering in Jesus' name. Sometimes people gather because they like the church, and we hear that all the time. You know, wow, I love New Spring Church, and that's a wonderful reason, but that's still not gathering in Jesus' name. You say, well, I like the, the ministry, or I like the preaching or the teaching, or I like the music, or I like the kids' ministry. Fine, but that's still not gathering in Jesus' name. See, it doesn't have the understanding and the intentionality of gathering in Jesus' name. Let me walk you through three verses, and I think once, if, if you're a Christ follower, once you grasp the impact of these three verses, you never mess the church again, okay? Let's just start with the one we've already looked at. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, I want to focus on the word there, because that's a geographic term. See, some of you, and, and I would have been right there with you before I started studying this, some of us would have thought, well, wait a minute, I think Jesus is with me all the time. So if I gather together with other believers at church and Jesus is with me, I don't see how one is better than the other. If he's with me by myself, why is it important to be with other believers where he's there? Let me give you the second verse. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking on this very topic. Watch the language carefully and look at what is added. He said, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. 
whole different thing. In other words, when God's people get together intentionally and with understanding in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there. Like I told you last week, we have a celebrity walk in sometimes and people say, did you see that person? You see that movie star? Did you see that, you see that musician? Hey, guys, I want to tell you something. Believe me, Jesus is here today. But not only is Jesus here, he has brought his power with him. One more time, I'm going to read that to you. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and the power of Jesus is present. Now, why is that significant? Let me take you to a third verse because something's going to be added now that's going to help the whole picture develop in our minds. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, people had come out of every town, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, it reminds me of New Spring, people come from all kinds of towns. And the power, Greek word dunamis, we get our word dynamite from that word. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, a lot of times when we hear about healing in the Christian circles, it's often a particular element of Christianity, and the idea is physical healing. You need to understand the word heal here means to make whole or to make right. Let me just tell you what I've discovered in 37 years of pastoring. Most of the biggest problems that God's people deal with is not physical illness. It's just that we're broken on the inside. It's just that stuff is not right. It's that marriages are not right and parent-kid relationships are not right. And there are elements on the inside of us that are just broken. Now, if I put all three of those verses together, what it is saying to me is this. When two or more people gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there. And not only is he there, he brings his power with him. And not only does he bring his power, he brings his power to make things right, to make people whole, to put people together. And that's why I'm saying to you, we need to think about what it would be like. Just imagine, imagine what it would be like to be part of a service. We had over 6,000 people here last weekend. What would it be like to be in a place where thousands of people have gathered intentionally with understanding in the name of Jesus? And people don't come here saying, I wonder what Mark's going to talk about today. Or I wonder what songs they're going to play in the worship band. Or I wonder what the big idea is in kids' world. All those things are fine. They're means to an end. But what would happen in this place if thousands of people were gathered together and on their way to church they would say, I'm coming in Jesus' name, so I'm wondering what Jesus is going to do today. I'm wondering who Jesus is going to touch. I wonder whose life he's going to put back together again. I wonder what marriage he's going to restore. I wonder who he's going to make whole. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. I know he does that. There's no church in the world like New Spring. And I hear stories, and sometimes when I'm up preaching, it's hard for me to continue because I look out and I only see people crying. A lot of times what gets me is I look out and I see young men not just crying but sobbing. And I'll know that Jesus is passing by that chair, and he's touching that person. See, when we gather in his name, Jesus is here, his power is here, and not only is his power here, his power is here to make things right. How many of us can testify he touched us in a service where we were ready there to hear his word in Jesus' name? Wow. I've decided I'm never going to miss church again. I don't think I can afford it. I'm just too broken. I want to talk to you about giving in his name. God loves his work. And here's the thing. Throughout the history, before the law, after the law, in the church age, God's people have always had a place where they worship. 
And if you're a Christ follower, you should have a place where you worship. And if you're a New Springer, it's New Spring. And if you're not a New Springer, then take everything I'm going to say and don't direct it toward New Spring, direct it toward your church. Because God's people have always had a place where they worship. And God's work always costs. And I always laugh about this when I think about it. Heaven's currency doesn't work here. And so what God desires from you and me, and I think it's important for us to understand this, because many of us have been in churches where they talked about money all the time, and we get a little squeamish about that, but you really understand God doesn't want your money. He owns everything already. He wants what you've got. He'll just put your lights out. Honestly. He can get his hands on your stack anytime he wants to. What God wants is he wants you to be a, labor, uh, a partner with him. He wants to use your currency for a while and then turn around and bless you and bless his work at the same time. Now, he has got promises about this in the Bible. And, and, and I need to let you know, I believe in something, and, and I'm not calling on you to believe it, but I, I believe in something called tithing, and it's been a part of our lives. When we believe, Morales and I believe a, a tenth belongs to God. We don't give it to God, we bring it to God. It belongs to him already. And um, there's a verse in the Bible that talks to us, and I'm going to talk to New Springers. Now, if you're not a New Springer, if you're not a Christ follower, just don't worry about this. You can check out on this. But if you're a new springer, I want you to listen to this. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That is the place where you worship. That there may be food. That's a metaphor that means adequacy in my house. Now, I'm, I'm going to be real honest. I don't, I don't talk very much about money at New Spring. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But you know, the church that built the facility that you're in right now was a church of about 600. And today, God has been so extraordinarily good. It's over 6,000 who gather here. Never in the history of this city, never in the history of this state has it happened like it's happened at New Spring. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I mean, if you were in the parking lot a few moments ago, you know adequacy is an issue. <laughs> if you stand in the lines, you know that adequacy is an issue. And you know what? It doesn't even, right now, we need a, we need a building, and I'll talk to you about it this year. We need a, a building that's probably going to cost about $4 million, not for growth, just to catch up with what we have. And so God is saying, look, bring, bring what you have for me, bring the tithe into the storehouse so there will be adequacy. Well, let me just start there, and then we're going to build up here for a moment. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I mean, if you're an old New Springer, you, you've heard me tell this story before, but really the first time you, you tithe, you only have that story, one story to tell, so I only have one story about the first time I tithe, at least seriously. And I grew up in a Christian family, and so, you know, when I mowed a lawn back when I was a teenager, you got $5 for mowing a lawn, so 50 cents, so that's not significant. You can put that in the offering plate, don't even think about it, you know. In my allowance, I didn't think about that. But the first time I ever had a check that was serious, when I was 17 years old, I graduated from high school early. I was actually invited, and this sounds crazy, but it's just a fact. I was invited to lead worship for an evangelistic set of services in West Texas. They had brought in a mega church pastor to preach. I'd read this guy's articles in magazines, so I was sort of pumped about being associated with him in this service, and I was leading all the worship. They asked me to speak on the radio. That's the first time that had ever happened to me. And in fact, the church wanted to call me as associate pastor. That was really freaky at 17. But anyway, a great experience. I would have paid them money. I didn't know you got an honorarium for such stuff. And so when they wrote me a check for $130, I looked at that, and I thought, that's the biggest check I've ever seen in my life. And instantly, I thought about three things that I needed desperately. I drove a 1966 Ford Galaxy, 
And I had the only one like it in Tarrant County because it had been in a wreck and the front end was red and the rest of the car was white. You didn't have to ask, is that Mark coming? You know. And I'm thinking, and I used to see these signs, you know, and back in the day, and they'd say, you know, paint job, $129. And I knew that was a bad, bad paint job, but I thought maybe it'd make most of my car look white. And I thought, well, I could do a paint job, maybe. And then, but in the, all of you who are young and have no idea what I'm talking about, I, I wanted a stereo. It was like a prehistoric <laughs> iPhone, I guess, or iPhone. iPhone. <laughs> but back in the 70s, they were like this tall, and speakers were like this tall, and, <clears throat> and they cost a lot of money. And so I was thinking, well, maybe I could buy a fairly inexpensive stereo for my room. And then I had a third thing that wasn't as pressing as the first two things. All four of my tires were bald. So I'm thinking, i got to check for $130, and I'm thinking about, okay, I can do a paint job, I can get a stereo, I can do some, new, do some tires, cheap tires, maybe. And I go to church, this is like the Sunday afterwards, you know, and so I'm in church, and like God is saying, <clears throat> what about the tithe? And I'm saying, God, you don't understand, because this could be a deal breaker, because it's only $13, but that's enough that it could wreck any one of these possible things. And so, <clears throat> have you, how many of you know that when God talks to you, he doesn't hit you with the hammer, he just leans on you, and he's very heavy, and he's just leaning on me. <clears throat> I would love to tell you that I gave that money joyfully, as the Bible teaches us to do, <laughs> but I didn't. I just gave it in obedience, and I thought, there it goes. Any of you ever give like that? There it goes. God be with you till we meet again. <laughs> now, my mom is in this service somewhere, so she'll remember this. We had a couple in our church, middle-aged couple, and, and they had no kids. And so I was, I was leading music in my church, and they just they loved me so much. And the only thing was, and I, and I loved them, but his name was Roy Cox. Roy had to be the slowest talker in the free world because whenever he would talk to me, he would rock back and forth, put his hands in his pocket, and he would say, he called me little brother. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. Little brother. And then he would tell me a story, and I'd just mentally be going like this, Roy, please, just, just, just get, <laughs> get to the point. Because I'm ADD, and you know, you know how yeah, I think. So. so here comes Roy, and I'm thinking, oh, not only did I lose my $13 to God, <clears throat> now I'm going to talk to Roy Cox. <clears throat> So Roy comes up to me, little brother, and he said, I have your car, can I have your car keys? Sir, can I have your car keys? Yes, sir. That's all he said. Turned around, went away, drove my car off. <laughs> I went to dad after service. I said, I need you and mom to give me a ride home. He said, where's your car? I said, Roy Cox has it. I said, what's Roy doing with your car? I said, I don't know. He asked me for the keys, and you taught me to respect my elders. <laughs> and Roy drove my car off, and when he brought it back, it was all white. He said, I got a friend who's got a paint shop. He painted it for you. I said, oh, that's fantastic. Now I'm thinking, okay, now that's really interesting. I, I got what's left of $130 after tithing, and now I have a white car. And so I was thinking about what do I do next? Now, I can do the stereo or the tires. I hate to tell you this, this is, but we're in church. I may as well tell the truth. I was thinking about that while the preacher was preaching. See, I just got my car back on Sunday during the service. And so while the preacher was preaching, I'm thinking, tires, stereo. But sure enough, at the end of the service, I'm walking down from the stage, and here comes Roy Cux again. And he's saying, little brother, can I have your, and I had it out already. I said, <laughs> 
And he said, when I had your car painting, he said, no, he had four bad tires. I got a friend who's got a tire shop. When he brought it back, he had four new tires. I'm thinking, oh, man. I got white all. And see, I had never told anybody about any of these things. I didn't have to tell anybody about the car, but I didn't tell anybody about these other two things. Now I'm thinking, well, I can buy a stereo. Scott is my witness. I get a call from a friend. He said, Mark. He said, I just learned something. He said the Akai Company, and the Akai is a Japanese electronics high-end brand back in the day. He said the Akai Company has exported a whole lot of stereos, high-end stereos. They were going to sell for $350, which is a lot of money in 1974. He said, but they've decided not to market them in the United States, but they've already shipped them over here. He said, if you go to a warehouse in Richardson, Texas, which is by Dallas, if you go to a warehouse, you can get one of these high-end stereos for $59. I went over again and checked. My mother-in-law bought one. I think she still has hers. And I remember sitting there looking at the money that I had left over because I had only had a white car, I had new tires, and I had a high-end stereo, and I still had money left over. Now listen to me, please. Listen. Listen. That's not about car paint. That's not about tires. That's not about stereos. That is about God teaching a young man that if he would put him first, that God has no shortage of resources. Someone could say, I can't afford to give to God. You can't afford. If you're a Christ follower, now if you're, if you're not a Christ follower, just check out for a moment. But if you're a Christ follower, you can't afford not to give to God. See, heaven doesn't have any deficit problems. Heaven's not sweating health care out. <laughs> but now I want to take it a step further. As crazy as it sounds, I have even known people who weren't believers who tithed. I remember there was a woman who was a Christian. She was married to a husband who was an unbeliever. He was a businessman, and she just insisted on tithing. And they, they had so many good things come about as a result, even though he didn't believe in God. He said, I want you to tithe. That's true. See, you could even be an unbeliever and do that. And I've been thinking about this in my own life because, see, there's so many times when I've, I've, I've brought the tithe in, in an additional percentage and additional gifts, mission gifts for years. But I begin to question myself. Am I doing that just as an act of obedience and faith? Or am I taking it to a whole nother level and doing it in Jesus' name? Because here's what the Bible has to say about giving in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water. Now, that's, now you're talking about something minimum. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, certainly will not lose his reward. Guys, let me tell you something. And, and, and again, I, I, and if you've ever fought, been to New Spring, you know I don't talk much about money. And here's why. I refuse to beg. I refuse to beg. And, and you might think that's because I don't want our church to get a reputation of all they talk about is money. That is not why. The reason I refuse to beg is... This is for Jesus Christ. If it's in your heart to love him, then I want you to respond to him. If it's not in your heart to love him, then don't feel any pressure. But if it's in your heart to love him, then it ought to be tangible. If you want to know how much you love Jesus and love his work, just look at your checkbook. If, and I'm, I'm not trying to be negative, but just let's be honest. Let's talk straight with each other. I owe it to you. You want me to do that. If you've got more money going to cable television than you have going to the work of Christ, you don't need a minister to tell you who you love most. 
I know I've lost some of you already. But for those of you whom this has touched, I want to tell you how New Spring can have adequacy for everything we will ever need. This is not something I'm ever going to know about. This is going to be between you and God. If you're a New Springer, I want you to think and pray about what you would bring to God on a systematic basis. See, many of us, here's how we give to God. We give to God like when we go to a restaurant. It's like we eat our meal and we have something left over. It's like, can I have a bag for that, please? What do we call that bag? A doggy bag. Some of us give out of a doggy bag. I'm going to have everything I want, and then if I have anything left over, then can I have a bag for that, please, and we'll bring that to God. Oh, it's getting so quiet in here. (laughs) I want to challenge you to think about something. Is there a percentage of your income? And, and here's the thing, because, you know, anything that's really important to you, you take care of it financially in a systematic way. You, you, if you have a mortgage, you take care of that in a systematic way. You don't take care of it in a haphazard, if I have something left over, I will take care of it. Wait, you don't take care of your um, utilities in a haphazard way. There's a systematic fashion. You don't take care of your family in a, in a haphazard way. There's a systematic way. I want to challenge you to think about this in a systematic way. Maybe It's like I'm telling you, I'm not challenging you to bring 10%. I, I'm asking you to think about what's in your heart and to think about, all right, maybe it's not 10%, but maybe it's 1%. And by the grace of God, I'm going to bless this 1% and I am going to bring it systematically, not if I have it left over, but I'm going to put God first in this matter and I'm going to bring it in the name of Jesus. I'm going to give this in Jesus' name. And I don't think there will ever be a need we won't have if God's people will give in Jesus' name. I'm cautious about saying this, but every once in a while we'll have someone who will say, well, let me know if you need any more. Should Christ need to beg you? Do you have something for Christ? If you have something for Christ, then honor him. Put him first. Because the Bible says anything you give in Jesus' name, even... Even you say, Mark, I don't have anything to do. But if you expedite God's work by giving someone a cup of cold water, I mean, that is the very minimum. You say, well, I don't have a whole lot. Remember this. There was a woman who was cited by Jesus who gave two small farthings. She just gave two. She gave a very small offering, but it was all she had, and she gave it to the Lord in faith. Hey, listen. It's not the bigness of the offering. It's the dedication in your heart and what it means to you and giving in Jesus' name. I will close with this. Hundreds of you will volunteer here at New Spring. Many of you have already volunteered. Many of you will volunteer in the next hour. Some of you served coffee. Some of you met people at the door. Others of you directed traffic. I'm always amazed at you guys who direct traffic, whether it's 5 degrees or 105 degrees. So many of you will volunteer in Kids World, and you'll serve. I want to read to you a verse that Jesus said. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. If you're a new springer and we failed to engage you in volunteering, I want you to think about something. You say, well, Mark, it's not a big thing to open the door for somebody. If you're welcoming people into Jesus' house, you're standing in the place of Jesus, welcoming them in. If you give somebody a cup of coffee in Jesus' name, then you're, walk, you're, you're, you're taking the place of Jesus. If you minister to these kids, these 
2,000 kids that we have on a weekend at New Spring. In Jesus' name, you're changing the world. In fact, you're taking the place of Jesus. You are doing what Jesus would do. And not only will God bless you, he will change the world. There are so many stories like this. I, I, and, I, and I'm sure that there's a, there's a reason why there are a lot of stories like this, because I'm sure it happened many times. But one of my favorites is the story of a little boy at Paris at the end of World War II. He was a street urchin. The war had left so many kids orphans and starving. And he looked in the window of a bakery, and he could smell the bread. And, of course, he hadn't eaten in several days. And an American soldier was walking in to get his order, and he had bread and pastries in the bag. And he saw the little kid out there starving, ragged. And the soldier had passion on, but compassion and pity for him. And after buying his warm bag of bread and pastries, he stooped down and just gave the bag to the little boy. And according to the story, the little boy looked up at him and said, Mr., are you Jesus? When you serve in Jesus' name, you touch people in the place of Jesus, and it changes the world, and it changes you. Guys, I, I, I wish I had six weeks to talk about this. If I had this to do over again, I'd have done a six-week series on Jesus' name. And there's so much I didn't get to say. But if you're a child of God, your whole life is in the name of Jesus. You're praying. You're attending church. You're serving. You're giving. Your very life itself. I don't think it's any accident that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that the very way that we come into the family of God is in Jesus' name. How many times do I stand right here? Five times a week. And I quote to you Romans 10, 13, which is the way to get into heaven. Where the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't dream much. I don't know why. I just don't. I'm... But I had a dream last night. Strange dream for me. I couldn't go back to sleep. In my dream, I was in a field. Huge field. It was as if it had no end. And I was preaching. And as strange as it sounds, I found myself preaching to people whose faces I recognized. They were political leaders and rock musicians and movie stars. And people from media and people from culture. The only thing was, everyone I was preaching to were, was in the past. It was people who were already gone. And in this crazy dream I had, I, I found myself preaching my heart out, the message that I preach week in and week out, that it's not about religion. It is about having a relationship with Jesus. And when I woke up, I woke up in a cold sweat because I thought, all those people are in eternity, but you're not. You are here today. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can have one. You can have one by calling on his name. God doesn't make you right with him because you're religious. God doesn't make you right with him because you're good. We're not good. He brings us into his family on the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came into our world, died on a cross, paid the, paid the price for our sins, died the death that we couldn't die, lived the life that we couldn't live, and tells us that if we will invite him into our heart and life and call upon his name, now, remember, the name isn't just the words. It's who he is and who he represents. It's being intentional and in calling on his name. The Bible says God will make you his child as a free gift.
Do you believe Jesus died for you? Do you believe he rose from the grave? Then if you do, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And I'll pray it slowly so that you can own each word. But I want to pray a prayer that calls on the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to join me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you love me anyway. And I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he arose from the grave. I believe he is here today. I believe he has power to make me right. I call upon the name of Jesus. I call upon him to be my savior and king. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, please don't leave. I know we're congested, but please don't leave without getting something. I have a gift for you. There's a, a packet. It's got a, a DVD and a book I wrote and a coupon for a new Bible. You can get it at guest services. All you got to do is bring your talk to us car back and say, I pray with Mark. Thank you for being here. We start Christmas next weekend. See you soon.